If you're leading a team in the corporate world or you're an entrepreneur, maybe you're on a leadership team at church or even out on the sports field, and maybe you're struggling to find the resources you need to help you grow to the next level in your leadership skills, this episode is all about leadership. I have Greg Layton, the chief maker himself, and he's going to unpack his strategy, the great method. So stay with me. You don't want to miss this episode. Hey there, you're listening to the Living a Limitless Life podcast. I'm Sharon Hughes. And on this show, we talk about mastering your mindset, growing your faith and becoming the leader you want to be with tips, strategies, and interviews to help you create a life you love. I'm really glad you're here. So come on, let's go. Joining me on the show today is Greg Layton, the founder of Chiefmaker. If you want to be a CEO, you want to know how to not sell your soul to be effective Greg is the go-to. He has a fantastic book, and we're going to dive right into all things leadership. Welcome to the show, Greg. Uh, Sharon, it is awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, Greg, I think that they can tell that you are not in the United States by that, that voice. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm from Australia, and, but I have worked in America. I've worked on five continents, um, actually six continents. So... Um, I've been around a bit and I've got many good American friends. Uh, We're partners in crime now. Change the world. <laughs> so before I hit the record button, I was teasing Greg that because of the time difference, he's actually in my tomorrow and I wanted him to look at the papers and get the winning lottery numbers for me. But I guess it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I mean, you, you could ask any Aussie what's going to happen tomorrow because we, we are, are in the future, but... I think a lot of people still think we're quite backwards. So. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know if that's quite going to work. Anyway. Well, Greg, I'm so excited to hear your strategies for being an effective CEO. And as you said, how to do it without selling your soul. So why don't we just jump right into your core beliefs around effective leadership? Well, I think when you... Let's talk about what I believe to be true about the world and the way okay. things are going in the corporate world. So th- there is no doubt in my mind that for a lot of, a long time through seventies, eighties, nineties, it was absolutely the common practice to sacrifice your soul to get to the top. Everybody did it. Um, now I spend a lot of time in boardrooms now and there's a dramatic shift away from that. Right. Um, so I actually think the by going in, if you're turning up without a sense of purpose, if you don't know why you're at work, if you, if you don't have a good vision for what you're doing um, and you, you haven't worked out a congruent sense of balance in your life, you will not get there, right? I work a lot in high-performance environments and when there's an incongruency in your approach in your life or one part of your life gets sacrificed too much, it doesn't last, mm-hmm. right? The results will eventually fail. One part of you will eventually say enough is enough. You need to pay attention over here. So I think that's a really big one. And the the part that goes hand in hand with that is this whole busyness thing that's going on, which I'm sure everyone is aware of. Like we're over busy, we're overloaded, information overload. I I firmly believe that that is the enemy of happiness, effectiveness um, and and growth. And it's the ally of toxicity, stalled career growth and and friendships, right? 
if we can't beat that, you'll never be an effective leader, right? It's good to focus on human life, right? So this is a few things I suppose that at the core of what we, what, what we believe here is you've got to be at your best. You've got to bring the very best version of yourself to work every day. And that means mm-hmm. being connected to your soul and being effective in the way you manage things like overload. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And being that I come from the corporate world as well, I saw a lot of people that were indeed what I would call selling their soul. They were not Mm. connected to themselves and their relationships outside of work, such as with their family, was really suffering and leading to so Mm. much burnout. Yeah. Down here in Oz, uh, we, we have this thing which is innately developed in us. It's called a crap detector. Right. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but we, when we can tell, like, and everyone, Americans have this little ability too, as good as anybody, when somebody is selling their soul or doing something that you can put the agenda is all them, putting themselves in front of the organisation or, or whatever it is they're doing, that little voice inside of you is going off. You're thinking, oh, my God, this is just another example. Now, that's all good and well when you see other people do it, but every now and then in your life, you catch yourself weighing up an opportunity, weighing up a decision you need to make about whether or not you let someone go or a particular business direction you want to take. And that's when at times we can let our ego or maybe a bit of success get in the way of a good, strong decision that's best for everybody involved. And that can be the sad thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. That's such a valid point because I know... I've seen so many people make those decisions and second guess them, second guess themselves. And is there anything worse than seeing a leader that's not confident in his decision, not confident in his leadership skills and his ability to connect with his team and make the right decisions to move forward? That's painful. It, it is painful. It's it's horrible if you're in that situation. And like I, yeah. I coach a lot of people who are, you know, suffer from imposter syndrome every day because they're mm-hmm. turning up and they are, you know, the poor buggers are guessing, Sharon, you know, it's really hard on them. It is. Um, but it's also really hard on the people that report to them. And wellbeing studies show that if your boss is unhappy, you're like 80% more likely to be unhappy. And if you're unhappy at work, your family is 80% more likely to be unhappy as well. So it doesn't just yeah. affect you know, business, it, the low performance or struggling at work affects everybody. Yes. And the flow on and the downstream effects are huge. So I, I really think it, it's almost a responsibility that if you're going to go to work, if you're going to lead people or even be in a role, it is your responsibility to become the very best version of yourself, master your profession, master leadership. So that excellence, which become a huge trend down here in Oz and I know it's, it's big in America. It's the pursuit of excellence as an individual and a team mm-hmm. can be the avenue that re- relieves you of all this pressure, right? And so if, if you are stuck in your career, you are, you are in a leadership position and you're going to work and inside you're going, I don't know the next move. Like I've got mm-hmm. someone who's not performing, I don't know how to deal with it. Or I want to bring the values to life, I don't know how to do it. Or we've got to get this big number, this huge new target that's been lumped on us, I don't know how to do it. If you're in that position, then you need to add in a few things. Like, first of all, add some knowledge, like do Mm -hmm. some research, read some articles, read some books. The more you can pour some knowledge on the problem, the more it immediately changes dynamic. You move and get some momentum. 
Mm-hmm. Speak to some trusted advisors. Get some, you know, call up Sharon. She'll help you, right? You know, do something that actually gets you moving away out of the stuckness that you're in because the stuckness can be horrible, right? Right. I've seen a lot of companies that promote someone into leadership because they're good at a task. So for an example would be yep. some like mm-hmm. a salesperson that's, you know, really has very high numbers. So they'll mm-hmm. promote them to lead a sales team, but then the sales team starts to struggle because that person was good at working more in a silo, just doing his numbers, but doesn't have the skill set to lead a team. And then they find themselves in that role and they're stuck. And then it becomes this fear-driven mindset. They can't tell anybody they're stuck because they're brand new and they don't want to lose their job. So yeah, I mean, what, do, what should they do? Well, isn't this the great, the <laughs> great challenge? Question, you know? right? <laughs> well, this is the way the world's set up. And I, I think this is where um, a lot of us end up playing the wrong game because we, we don't understand what's right in front of us. If you think about the classic career journey map, you, maybe you go through university or college or you come out of school and you go into a technical role. Now, sales role is a technical professional role. Engineer, lawyer, doctor, you are. You're in a role where 80 to 100% of the work you do is purely getting the job done, doing tasks. Now, around 20% of people are lucky enough to go then into their first leadership role. Now, that's a supervisor, sort of frontline manager kind of role. Now, in that role, you still spend... 60 to 80% of your time doing technical work, right? You, you're still probably selling. You're still probably doing some of the hard yards. But all of a sudden, there's this 20% of your life that you have to do, which is spent on developing people, engaging stakeholders, looking after your boss, hitting some numbers, but no one's ever taught you how to do it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so if I was to say to you, just say you're an engineer, a civil engineer, and I say first, hey, listen, what you need to do is we're building this bridge over here. Could you design that bridge and build it for me? Well, it's your first day of the job. You don't know how to do that. You've got to then go and learn. You've got to be mentored through that process. It's the same thing with leadership. Like I don't believe that leaders are born. I really think leaders learn as they become great mentors. They what they learn all the different elements. They get clean frameworks in front of them, processes for, for winning and bringing a team on that journey. So, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the journey from professional to manager is, is hard enough. When you go one more to like a VP or a general manager where you've got multiple teams or multiple managers reporting to you, the complexity skyrockets. It doesn't go by a factor of one, it goes up by a factor of 10. Because now you've got 10 people and all those 10 people have relationships with all 10 people, mm-hmm. right? And so it gets really difficult from a personal level, like in the relationships and all the different personality issues that go on. And all, all of a sudden your work went from 80% technical to 20% technical, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the, you might have even people reporting to you and you don't even know what they do. Right. Right. You can provide no technical guidance. Now what do you do? So what, what we find is, and, and back to your point, how do you, how do you do this? right. Um, and, We'll go through this in my, in my book, which is this thing called the great method. So if you, if you imagine um, like a bit of a curve that goes up and, and as it goes up, you go from a professional and there's a bit of a dip as you go up and then you go into a manager role, there's a bit of a dip and you go into a VP role, another dip and you go into a senior executive role. What tends to happen is most people end up in the dip, which is what we call um, valley of despair. You get mm-hmm. stuck right? And the reason is you haven't reinvented yourself. 
what got you promoted from the last job to this job will definitely not get you promoted to the next level. It also definitely will not make you successful in the current job. So what actually goes on is a constant process of reinvention and re-evolution at each level of performance. So if you go from a, uh, from a frontline um, uh, lawyer or engineer or whatever, whatever your role is, or in sales, you go to a team leader, or you've got to reinvent, and we'll go through these things. It's the game plan, the routines, the entourage, the assets and track record. And you've got to build that each time, not just once. And I think this is the challenge. Most of us start our careers. We get our, we get a bit of a game plan. Oh, game plan means what's my career? What's my value proposition? Who's going to be my boss? How do I add value? That's game plan, right? That's right. my vision. Routines are the habits and processes that you follow to keep you focused in flow every single day. Entourage is your network of support. It's your peers, your boss, your colleagues, your trusted advisors and your family and friends that are around you. What that, that group, that network of entourage, what got you to level one won't get you to level two. Maybe family and friends stay the same, but everyone else changes. Boss changes, peers change, people that report to you change and trusted advisors change. You go to VP level, changes again. But what we tend to do is go to VP level and keep professional content done. Right? You haven't evolved yourself enough. Then um, in the great method, you know, game plan, routines, entourage, assets, assets are your skills, right? And that can be your technical skills, your tactical, your social, emotional skills, all these things. As you go up through the ranks, you have to reinvent yourself in every single one of those. And the last one, T, is the one that's most irresistible of all. It's track record. Why, you know, you gave an example before of why someone gets promoted because they do a great job at a task. They build a great track record. A bulletproof track record is the best thing you can possibly do to get promoted. But you have to get a new track record every time you get into a new job or people start to lose trust. Mm. They believe and they look at you and go, oh, they've been promoted too high, right? <laughs> too fast. They're not ready. We'll send them back. We'll send them sideways into a project role or a change management role. <laughs> get them out of the way. Right. You know what I mean? So when you put these things together, so you get promoted into a new job, you start out, you have to start asking yourself, what a this role that my boss needs done. Your boss is your number one customer, right? They're the one that pay you to turn up every day on a full-time basis. But don't let that full-time basis make you, make you um, complacent, mm -hmm. right? Treat yourself like a professional services firm of one. You need to blow your boss's mind, your customer's mind, Understand the pain points in the business. Understand how you can deliver exceptional value. That's the game plan. Every time you get promoted, you need to go through that process. Analyze what's going on. Then you've got to set up your own little rhythm and routine about how you can turn up every day and be in flow. Look at your network and make sure you've got good, trusted relationships across the board. Right? Then you've got to get the new skills and assets, and that might take a period of time to develop. You might want to go to you know, get a new degree or a course or accreditation um, or just simply learn through podcasts and books and things like that. Then you've got to get the right record and you've got to plan out over a one to two year period how you're going to transform the results and improve everybody in your team's performance. Now, if you do that time and again, you do it every time you get promoted, you will get promoted faster than anybody else and you'll have a bulletproof track record at the end. I love that. That's 
that's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's the short <laughs> answer, folks. Yeah. You make it sound so easy, but we know after being in the corporate world that mm-hmm. it really is not. Yeah. How can you set up your mind for success? You talked about, you know, reading, maybe listening to podcasts, you know, yep. seeking out knowledge, but what else might somebody need? Because it's one thing to have a lot of knowledge. It's another thing to implement. And then it's a whole nother mm-hmm. thing to get your ego out of the way so that you can actually implement what you're learning and basically yep. not be a jerk in the office. <laughs> exactly. That's you. And, you know, we'll talk a lot about being your authentic self and all that. Yeah. I'll tell you about a couple of... Like, I've met a lot of um, CEOs and, and C-level guys and board members over over a decade. And there's a few key mindsets that I think are at the core of all of them. The very first one is that ownership always precedes victory. Mm. Right? So we talk about taking accountability, taking ownership, responsibility. This is they've put this in their DNA. If someone in their team is not performing, they take that personally. That's their responsibility. If they're not getting promoted, they don't look or blame anybody else. It's them. Whenever something goes wrong, they take ownership of it. When they win, when they, when there's victory, they share the spoils. Mm-hmm. So as, as a, as a professional, whatever level job you're in, if there's a re there is a reason why you are where you are. And it's because of the actions and behavior you've taken to this. Point. That's, Anybody else, it's no one else's fault, it's yours. You are where you are. If you've been successful, fantastic. If you haven't been so successful, that's on you. Okay, so that's number one. If you, and sometimes that can be a bitter pill to swallow. Because mm-hmm. you might have to look in the mirror and go, you know what? Okay, I get it. And I don't want to leave people hanging. I'm like, well, what next? Thanks, mate. You know, you've just right. <laughs> right. You made me you know, swallow a bitter pill. The next thing is you've got to be bold. Mm-hmm. Right? And that means turning up every day and not accepting the status quo. Great chiefs never accept the status quo ever. So if you're turning up to work and you're, and the, the numbers or the results in your team and your operation have been the same for a couple of years, that is not good enough. Right? People are thinking, well, they're just someone that just turns up to work every day. You have to try and try and try again, and it will not always work. Mm-hmm. You don't need a perfect, like you don't need to have a, um, a perfect strike you know, it's about you need to have sort of six, seven out of 10 good decisions is enough. Right. right? And, and that, that's something that when I, I've interviewed a lot of CEOs, they all said the same thing. You don't need to have perfect decision-making capability. Right? Yeah. So I can tell you now they don't. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they try. They try really hard. So if you think about that, right, I'm going to own all the outcomes of my life. I'm going to own my career development. I'm going to own um, uh, the, the outcomes and you know, results of my team. And I'm going to be bold every single day, not accept the status quo, know that there will be headwinds. That's just what it is. You know, if you're going mm-hmm. on, going to somewhere big and hard and difficult to get to, there's going to be headwinds. There's going to be currents. These things will pull you away and distract you. Yeah. Um, and I think the last thing is just this, it's probably a combination of curiosity, which a lot of CEOs have used that exact word with me. And then the other one is the pursuit of excellence that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, like you go through and down you get hits just part of the course you, you're going to grow and then you're going to stall that's just the nature of growth 
and I think there's a there's good at that point there's got to be a bit of an intuitive sense of where am I at? Maybe you've had a period of really strong growth and you just need a break for a while. And that's okay. That's where you've really got to listen to your soul and your energy and go, right, where am I at? You know, I've, I've had a lot of growth. Maybe I just need to stop and step back. Right. And, I, and I think as you're going through your career, I think this is the most, you know, chief maker is less about becoming a CEO and more about becoming the chief of your career in life. Mm-hmm. And that's that ownership thing, right? Right. And if you don't spend, like what I do is I get all my clients to go once a quarter to go and spend about two, three hours away from the city, away from all the noise, go and sit in the mountains or the beach, wherever they are, and just review what's going on from their own life, vision, strategy, uh, purpose, and then the, what's their team, what's going to organisation. And this little session that they do keeps them on track. And without that, they lose focus. They forget ownership. They lose their sense of self. Mm-hmm. But the more they do it, the more they stay on track. Yeah, reflection is really, really important. Really, it's vital. Important. Yeah, because this this world magnetically draws you into places you sh- you you know you don't want to go. Right. No, I agree with you. It's it's really easy to get sucked into that and be in so deep before you realize it because you haven't been reflecting. Right. Mm. Yeah. So I have a question for you. I would really like your perspective on how to create a safe environment in the workplace where you can make mistakes and learn from them and not have that fear of, of losing your job. I mean, of course, depending on what it is, but how can a leader work with his team so he creates that safe space so that people know that it's okay not to be perfect and that they can make the mistakes? Yeah, well, I think there's a, there's a model I teach around this because I think what goes on is most leaders have one MO, so one particular approach to leadership. And leadership is situational, right? Right. So uh, you have, in your team, you might have four or five people and they would all be at differing levels of performance in different kinds of tasks. Mm-hmm. So the, the situational delegation model I teach, and I can, I can share this with you as a graphic if you want to um, share it with your people, basically just says it's just got two axes. One is the risk of the project or task. And the mm-hmm. other is the capability. Mm. So if the risk is high, so it's a very high risk project you need them to do or high risk task, and the capability is high, right? So it's high risk, high capability. Um, what you do then is you partner with them. Mm. The reason you partner with them is because this is high risk. Right. The team can't afford to fail. Even though they're very good at what they do, you both need to go to back. Now, if it's a high risk but low capability, right? High risk, low mm-hmm. capability. This is where a lot of leaders throw someone under the bus. Mm-hmm. Hey, welcome to the team. You need to go and win this massive project for us. You need to lead this. It's high risk. It's got lots of exposure in the business. They don't have a clue what they're doing. The right. poor buggers, you know, I really feel right. for, and I see this a lot. This is where someone's promoted or given a job that's beyond their capability. And that's actually a bit cruel. So in that case, what we talk about doing is close coaching, right? Help them through every step of the way. What are you going to do today? Okay, excellent. Here's some guidance. It's not micromanagement, but it's pretty damn close to it. Mm -hmm. But it's done with good positive intent to help them do this down the track. You can't let that person go and do that because they're going to fail. And that's cruel to them and bad for the business. It's poor leadership. Now, if someone's got very high capability and it's a low-risk project, it's full empowerment. Go and do the job. Don't need to be involved. Thank you. Go. 
you're very good at all. And that's where they're allowed to fail if they want to. Okay. I love that. Okay. Because now you're in low risk projects. You let people right. fail in low risk, not in high risk. Okay. Right. There's too much writing on it and it can kill careers and it can kill organizations. Mm-hmm. And the other one where you really let people fail if you want is low risk, low capability. Mm-hmm. There's an opportunity to learn, right? So right. Low risk project, low capability, go for it, go and have a crack. In those environments, you just coach when they need it. Right? I love that. You know, so that might give people a bit of clarity around what to do in those environments. Wow. I love that. Okay. What's the best advice that you would give to your 20 year old self that you know now that you wish you would have known when you were starting your career? Oh, um, I didn't know this question was coming. <laughs> I just thought of it. It's a pretty good one. Oh, that's a good it's a question. Good one. We, can, we can always edit. Well, <laughs> we'll, no, we'll start I'll paint a picture of what I was like at 20. I was, um, at that time I was president of the beer appreciation society at the university. I I, I knew how to party, right. I I knew how to party and I was getting ready to travel the world. Um, I'll tell you what, I think, um, I wish I had done a little bit earlier. Um, I, I think I sort of, my growth stalled for about five, you know, to 10, I wouldn't take much seriously back then, to be honest, you know, and it would have been good, I think, back then to maybe, hey, just read a few things, a few things more, right? Um, maybe that's it. I mean, I loved my life when I was young. I was crazy <laughs> about things and it was all about just having a good time in the world. And I think that was important for where I was at at that time, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I certainly love the chief maker and the things that I, the content that I see you putting out. How did you have the vision to create basically an empire? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I'll tell you what, um, I didn't sit there one day and go, I want to build an empire. Um, I did just say there's a problem I want to solve. So I was spending a lot of time with, you know, the VPs, senior VPs of the world who are just getting crushed. Like, oh my gosh, they're getting crushed. Um, you know, and it's ruining their lives and their families and they're giving it all up for some coin and maybe some, you know, that they get a bit of a, a big career position, good rank, you know, kind of. And it just, I was just over it. I looked around and went, this is just so crushing. It's bad and it's not good for the world. So um, the one thing I... Um, and fairly good at is sort of distilling what a problem set is and turning it into a clear framework so people can try to work through it, right? Mm-hmm. And over time, it probably took me four or five years to work out what that framework was and another couple of years to codify it and all that kind of stuff. But um, so really all I wanted to do was provide a very clear resource for whoever the hell was listening <laughs> <laughs> um, to help them with their career, right? Right. Um, and the other thing I, I noticed um, was that, so most of my clients call me up and they're senior executives um, and there's heaps of um, budget for them to get um, developed, right? Happy to do one-to-one, happy to bring you all the way over here and we'll do two days working together, all sorts of stuff, heaps of budget. But once you drop below VP level into management roles and frontline, I, I, almost nobody does a lot of development in that space, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so we don't we don't set leaders up in that very beginning for any chance of success. It's just for right. those that fluke it, those that read the right books. Right. So I wanted to make chief maker about 
providing this content and executive coaching, the best coaching I can possibly give to just give it to those people and say, Hey, here you go. Have a go yourself. Be the most of your own listening so you can have a go and just like reserve all this knowledge and content to people who've already three quarters made it. Right. Right. I love that. Mm. It's so needed. When are you coming to the United States? <laughs> well, I'll be there in October. I will be there in October. I'm going for a couple of weeks. So uh, that'll be my next big trip, I think. Oh, gosh. We need you here. I love what you're doing. And, and, you <laughs> Thank know, you. I've, and I really person. have a, I have such a heart for leaders that are struggling just because I've seen it mm. and um, mm. they need you. They need you desperately. Mm. Well, they need you too. Keep up <laughs> what you're doing. You know, this is important work. It is. So tell me about Chief Maker Academy. Well, the, the, as I was saying before, the academy is, uh, well, the academy is the answer to how do we like, provide coaching at scale. So we, right. uh, it, at the moment, it has got three main programs. It's, one is about career game plan. The others are about high performance habits and routines. And that's all about personal excellence. So, yeah. you know, I talk about like, What's your vision? What's your purpose? What's your value proposition? Where's your career going? Have you summed up the competition? That's all within career game plan. And then high performance habits and routines is your daily, weekly, monthly schedules, getting in flow, staying in flow. And then there's Mm -hmm. a whole program on how to lead high performance teams. um, So it's about sort of uh, 50 or 60 modules, 50, 60 videos. And I talked for a lot of the little models that help people just get to the next phase, right? So the, we recorded all that. It took us about a year to develop it. And now we're um, just opening the doors for people to go in and have a year's membership. And over that time, they can learn. And then we have monthly webinars as well. So that's just launching um, right now. That's exciting. Mm. Boy, such needed work. So Greg mm. is in the beautiful land down under. And for me, that is in the United States, this is a fantastic way that you can connect with him. You can develop your, your skills to be a, a wise leader. Just listening to you talk, I, I hear so much wisdom in setting people up to succeed. And our, our world is hungry for that. It really is. You know, and um, I think that there's a few things. There's a great quote. I'm pretty sure it was Einstein. He said, stop trying to be a person of success and just be someone who is insanely valuable. Mm, yeah. Um, and I, I think a lot of the time, like I often refer to you sort of building a bit of a castle and the foundations are critical, right? Because you're going to build a lot on it. And the foundations are about you really knowing who you are and what you're about. Like what's your purpose? What is your vision? your values and your strategy. And if you don't have those there, it's like the, the foundations crumble. And mm-hmm. whenever you try and build something on it, the walls just fall over. So if you, if you can't answer within you quite deeply, what is your purpose? What is your vision? What is your strategy? What are your values and what are your priorities right now? You've got crumbling foundations and yes. fall over. So go back to that. Now, and you don't, like I, I think setting us up this amazing vision and looking at, entrepreneurs online that have a million followers and have huge, huge bank accounts. While all that is wonderful, right, and might be something to aspire to, don't make that the initial goal now. Mm-hmm. Right, serve, like if you can work out what your unique value is, just go to serve that and make that number one. Just keep being valuable at every opportunity, give freely as much as you possibly can and make it about other people and that's when it's like the world shifts, right? Things come to you as opposed to you trying to open doors, right? 
Oh, yeah. It's such an easier way of living. You actually do mm. have time to breathe instead of just chasing, chasing, chasing. I love yeah, that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so good. Well, thank you so much, Greg Layton, the founder of Chief Maker. Everything will be linked below in the show notes. <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Sharon. It's been an absolute pleasure. What a wealth of information Greg brings to the table. I love the great method. So let's go through that really quick. G is for game plan. R is routines. E is entourage. A is assets. And T, track record. You can be bulletproof every time, just like he said. What an awesome talk that was. So that's Greg Layton, founder of Chiefmaker. Everything is linked below for you in the show notes, as well as check out his brand new Chief Maker Academy that is just launching, full of content. It will help you get to the next level. And believe me, investing in yourself is the best thing that you can do. I don't get a kickback for that. I'm just saying to you, always bet on yourself. Always invest in yourself. You have got to have your back. And I really believe that that is a principle that Greg embraces. Let me know what you thought about this episode and please share. I want you to share this content out so that somebody else you know that is struggling in their leadership journey can find some resources that will really help them. And also send me a message. I'd really like to know how the show is serving you and of course, how I can serve you better. And as always, friends, thank you so much for being here. And until next time, I wish you every good thing.